This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, January 6, 2022, and I have the awesome, wonderful Michael Fisher. Hi, Michael. How are you? Very well, Miriam. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be coming to you live from Las Vegas, Brooklyn. Wait a minute. Oh. Yes, I'm also not in Vegas. So <laughs> there's some explaining here because in my last show, I was still going, you see. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know. I, I heard it. I just listened to your previous episode and I was like, no, you're not going, Miriam. We know that. <laughs> nope. So a few things. First of all, Happy New Year to everyone. It's a new year. Secondly, this is episode 250. I've been doing this for like five years or something now. I don't know. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. So, um, wow. And then the other thing is, yes, I'm not at CES. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who keep track at home, here's what happened. Yeah. Um, literally the day of my podcast recording, I think it was the day after, the Thursday, I finally got an email from my sponsor, BMW, who said, you know, we think we're going to pull out and do this digitally only. And at that point, the only two stories I had left that I was actually going to get paid for to write was gone. So I was like, you know, do I really want to go to Vegas and pay out of my own pocket for the Ubers and Lyfts and the food when I can be at home and I don't have anything specific to write? The only thing I'm losing is a great podcast with my posse of media, but half of them are not coming anyway. So... I decided, you know, maybe I'll just stay home. Initially, I had a lot of stories lined up to write. I had like a half a dozen or so. So I was going to, you know, write some stories for various publications, get paid. It was going to be great. And didn't do a podcast as a bonus. But then it all fell apart. And when the last two pulled out, I was like, you know, I don't think so. Yeah, I, it's it's really frustrating because, you know, I, I feel like we've been thrown back into this um, very unpredictable situation. And I was, I had my tickets. David Kogan talked me into um, the Cosmopolitan as a home base. I had a hotel nice. room. I had flights. I had everything. We were all set. And then, you know, I think once the first couple big exhibitors started dropping out and the big, the first big publication started pulling out, I was like, yeah, this is what I've been privately thinking for the past two or three days as Omicron <laughs> surged and everything. I was like, there are shows I'm willing to risk infection for, CES flu or COVID, take your pick. But CES for almost the entire entirety of the decade I've been going has been the least impressive show for me for mobile stuff. And right. so of course I was like, you know what? This is an easy decision. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to stay healthy. And then it turned out to be one of the best CESs <laughs> ever I mean, in terms of the products that are shown. It is turning out to be pretty good. So this is what we're about this show. We're going to go through really rapid fire, a lot of stuff that is critical news for mm -hmm. us as mobile tech reporters and, you know, YouTube creators, and stuff that's more like, this is cool, here's a link, go check it out. We're not going to have time to dive too deep into it. So that's what I wanted to do here. And you're right, I, I feel you. I had a hotel room at the Aria. I had, you know, mm -hmm. I was going to drive my Tesla down there because it's just easier because we we're going to Palm Springs afterwards. But hey, here we are, home and I can have somebody special for my 250th. Like, hello, this is awesome. <laughs> also, congratulations, by the way, on 250 episodes. I'm, I'm very happy to be here for this one. And also, you know, recovering it from home is not as fun remotely, 
But I've had my two, and this is the like lamest thing to say, but it's 2022, <laughs> whatever, I'll embrace it. I've had my two most successful tweets ever as a result of this CES, like in terms of engagement. Oh, like cool. To two of the things we're going to talk about, I kind of like tweeted with just with bits of video from the PR package. Like I'm not there. I didn't shoot the video, but here you go. Here are my thoughts. And it's like just retweets, retweets wow. galore. And that's another kind of barometer for how interesting the show is, I think, to normal people this year, not just to, to tech nerds. So yeah. I'm excited to talk about it, is the point. Awesome. Well, listen, let's get, let's get into it. Let's start with the mobile stuff, the phones, because believe it or not, there are actually a few phones at CS, mm -hmm. surprisingly, right? Normally, as you said, this is kind of a sleeper show. And there's a few sleeper phones in here we have to mention, but... Okay, the OnePlus 10 Pro was going to be shown there, clearly, right? Absolutely. And they've been slowly giving us embargoed news to quote-unquote leak for them. Four-part <laughs> embargo, Miriam. A four-part. Four-part. I know. I'm on it, too. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not going to start complaining. I'm not going to start complaining. I'm going to get there. I, I'm actually pretty excited about it. I, <laughs> okay. I, it's annoying me because you know how I feel about multi-part embargoes. We all feel the same way. They're dreadful. But at the same time, I'm like... I love kind of the way they're doing it. And considering I'm not at CES, this is actually working out for me because I feel like I can actually focus on each of these announcements. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, if you guys are keeping track at home, by the time the podcast airs, we'll probably get everything. But at this point, there's only two out of four. So, you know, technically we're, we're cheating by giving you a little bit of love. The point is that OnePlus said they were going to launch the OnePlus 10 Pro in China on the 11th of January. They gave us designs and they gave us specs. That's basically where we're at right now. That's right. So what do you think? Like, how, how do you feel about this right now? I feel very evolutionary here. I think it, what's, what's annoying is it frequently comes down to the price with OnePlus. I was rewatching my mm -hmm. OnePlus 9 Pro review and, uh, you know, to sort of prep for this and to put it in context. And, you know, that video told the story of a phone that was very impressive. And one that I might even like to buy. But then at the end, I was like, yeah, um, here's the thing. There are some compromises. Here's what they are. And I can no longer say, but, you know, it's a OnePlus phone. So you're going to be saving one to two hundred dollars or, you know, back in the day, three to four hundred dollars. And you can't say that about the nine pro. So it will really depend on what pricing they choose for this 10 pro uh, and obviously how it how well it performs. What do you think? I think I'm on board with you, especially now that we're in the post Pixel 6 world, which mm -hmm. has really changed the game mm -hmm. a lot, even to the point where the next phone we're going to talk about was competitive in its previous incarnation is no longer competitive. I'm talking about the Samsung Galaxy S21 Fan Edition was our next phone on the list. The point about the OnePlus 10 Pro is pricing will be critical. I think that we need to get a 900, 850, 800, 850, 900 price point for this that has, based on the specs I'm seeing, and that camera system better impress this time around because yes. the specs, at least the little bit of specs they gave us, look identical to last year's specs, which means to me, this is an opportunity for them to refine the software and not so much the hardware, which, as you know, is a good thing since the Pixel 5a in some ways beats the Pixel 6 still today because of the refinement of the software in terms of right. image processing. Like I'm actually surprised I pulled it out again and I went to shoot some stuff. And I think between 1X and 3X, the Pixel 5a might be a better camera than the 6. Were you making it's this crazy. point last week? Because somebody was making this point that like Google has had so much time to refine the Pixel because yeah. they use the same sensors every year and maybe... But So I'm, I'm of two minds on that. I agree. I think OnePlus 
if they stuck with largely the same sensors or at least sensors that, that were as easy to work with as last year, they could deliver something a little bit better on the processing side of things. But on the flip side, they didn't promise, but they heavily implied if, if they didn't outright say last year that Hasselblad would have some input into physical hardware, hardware. selection this year. And I don't know if I necessarily am, you know, if we should be asking for that. I don't know that how, uh, what Hasselblad's hardware reputation is like these days, ever since they were acquired by DJI. But it's something I would like to see. It's something that they can do differently rather than just slap the Hasselblad name on, on a module and throw in some custom modes, you know? I agree, but I see that more as a lens thing than a sensor thing. So if you keep the sensors ah. from last year, the computational stuff doesn't change too much. You might have to readjust for some w wider or narrower angle lenses, but that's relatively easy. That's just geometry. Mm -hmm. the, the challenge is more like the low light, the way the noise reduction and the sharpening and the color science works. Right. And to change the sensor immediately makes a difference. So... What I'm hoping is happening here is that we're getting glass lenses, kind of like we saw on the Xperia Pro uh, I, Pro I, and mm -hmm. on some other phones in the past. I believe it was the uh, Xiaomi Mi 11 Ultra last year that had glass elements, mm -hmm. um, and then we see that you know maybe to some extent, maybe on the main camera or something, or maybe a, a wider ultra wide or something crazy like that. The point is, we'll see, and I'm excited because. Look, I want this. I want this OnePlus 10 Pro to be one I can say without, you know, without like any exception. Say, yeah, this is a, this is a good top five or top ten phone of 2022. Whereas last year, it's, it was really hard for me to put the nine Pro even in the top ten because we only got the higher end spec, which was even more expensive. Yeah, right? I mean, it would be. You know, I I think that if OnePlus were to ship a device that had something new to stand apart. Like, I just don't have a lot of faith that the camera is going to to really, really deliver. And I hope I'm wrong on that. So what else do they have to stand out on? Um, very fast charging speeds, a rather yeah, clean watt. software experience, right? Like, yeah, yeah. But, but, but we've, we've seen that before. You know, regardless of the opification of, of OnePlus uh, that may result in some changes this year to the software experience, it's probably going to be a clean, fast, nice software experience the 80 watt super vuk is going to be amazing um did you notice they called it super vuk yeah instead of warp which is a, such a shame because warp charging what a great brand it was name. so cool it was I know. super uh, vuk. vuk just doesn't yeah. sound the same but no, it it's doesn't. interesting like the opification as you said like it's i didn't notice i read through the spec sheet and i was like okay and then I was like wait a minute somebody tweeted about it and i yeah. was like wait you're right that's not warp crazy but I just want something else in there. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to have to yeah. like say for the seventh year in a row, whatever, like really fast charging, really clean software, <laughs> kind of an okay paint job. Yeah. The green one is nice. You know, it's like, I, 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 this is one of the many reasons I'm just so all in on foldables because there's so much new to talk about and explore in that space. And in the slab phone, like what do manufacturers have to compete on now? Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> Especially once we've now we've seen Oppo, aka BBK Group, aka OnePlus, right, mm -hmm. make the Oppo Find N, which is my favorite phone right now. I've been using it, <laughs> and I just so love it. It's yes. so good. Yes, right. This is finally the foldable for me, Michael. Like the flip was great; <laughs> I loved it, but it was a little too small at times. Mm -hmm. And the, the fold is just still too big and too too awkward to use one-handed. I would say that I use the Oppo Find N one-handed probably three quarters of the time, and then every now and then, if I'm stopped somewhere and I can sit down and open the whole thing up, 
ta-da, all yeah. this real estate, and now I can look at my news feeds and whatever in this glorious sev- almost seven-inch, you know, well, it is seven, 7.1. And yeah. yeah. And I love the fact that it's not this weird, awkward Anyway, it's just a better design. I love it. And I loved hearing you talk about it last week with, with that was Tom, right? Who was on? Yeah. Uh, and I, I, my thing is this, I love it especially because it's not the foldable for me. I really like it, but I'm, I much prefer the fold three for several reasons, but I love that there's choice now, you know right. what I mean? For the people like yeah. you who prefer that thing. Now there's an option and we're just going to keep getting more of those. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, I guess. I didn't mean to jump the gun. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I want OnePlus to give. I this. want a OnePlus version of this too. Yes, I will pay for that. Like yes. I would, I would recommend it for even fifteen hundred dollars at this point. Actually, yeah, especially if it came yeah. in more exciting colors. Yeah, if this came, yeah, if this came similar to what it is today, with the Hasselblad branding and like mm. you know the Oxygen OS stuff and five G that works in the US. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I would dump my Pixel for that a hundred percent. And that's that's a that's a tall order. Like I'm saying that now. Wow. That could be really, really cool. To see. I really hope we see that. It seems like- And I mean, likely. the reason I'm saying that, Michael, is because I did have a OnePlus 8 Pro that I loved, and I've used the Oppo Find X3 Pro as mm-hmm. my main phone this year, part of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year now, I should say, because it's last year. But the point is, like, I have no issues with, you know, yeah, ideally, I want Pixel software. It's still the best. It still makes me the happiest. Yep. And the camera is still the best. But, I mean, other than video on the iPhone. But like, (laughs) I can totally live with a OnePlus folding phone. Anyway, the one thing I want to say before we go to the next phone is noticeably absent from all this conversation is the OnePlus 10, which, you know, I've always considered the, ever since I've had two models, I've always considered the lesser phone or the the entry level flagship Mm -hmm. to be the carrier phone, right? Like dictated by the US carriers. And I think we're going to see that potentially again because we're never going to see the Nord. The Nord 2 last year was incredible and the Nord 3 this year is probably just going to be foreign, you know, markets only, like foreign to us. So I think I think the 10 is going to be also probably pretty mad to us. I think I, I don't so, want to, right, yeah. like my hopes are not very high. Also noticeable, the first time ever that OnePlus has launched its phone in China before launching it globally for the rest of the world. Notice the opification? Yeah, That's a very oppo thing to do, right? It's fascinating. I, I, it, it, it genuinely surprised because me. Because in the past, we've always had it like, bang, it landed, right? And we all had it. All the whole world had it. We had our review units before it was announced. That's right. Look at us now. Do you see a OnePlus 10 Pro in our pockets? Nope. Nope. And I wonder if they're going to, if, if this is a evidence of a larger trend across several manufacturers, because the latest leak we heard from Lenovo, out of Lenovo, was that they were going to launch the new Razer in China first. In oh, the spring. Wow. So I'm uh, like, whoa, okay. I, I hope this is not a trend that continues just selfishly because I don't, you know, I, it, it really sucks to go hands on with something a week after people halfway around the world do because just from a business perspective. Well, you sucks. know that Ben Sin's going to get one in Hong Kong. Oh, man, Ben. Ben always scoops and me. And then he's going to freaking have a hands on <laughs> and, and a review before we even get our review I units know. officially. Well, you know, if it's going to be anyone, uh, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it's Ben. Yeah, me too. I'm not mad at Ben. No. I'm just saying. But I'm, I am jealous of him, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I probably will just have him on the show for that. <laughs> Done. Uh, all right. Next phone is Galaxy S twenty one FE, and well, awesome, except the price. Like it's like amazing how last year, like this phone. Okay, just I want I want to just say this. This is really all I have to say. This is a Galaxy S twenty fan edition with a Snapdragon eight eight eight, and it's got basically industrial design inspired 
by the S21. That's it. That's it. That's all you're getting. It's the same camera modules, the same specs. Everything is the same. I think the battery's a little bigger. The back is still plastic. So the price is the same too. But that was great last year. But now it's complete disaster because you get the Pixel 6 that completely blows it away. Completely. Then you have, wait, you have the S21. There. So discounted right now. That's it. I would get the S20. You can get the S21 for $550. And you, what, you're going to pay $700 for this instead? Like, no. It, it, it's, and I, I find the design um, truly uninspired. Like, oh, yeah. I loved the S21. And I, if they had painted this like the S21, I think it would have been, but, but they're all, it's just weirdly uniform. You know what they look like? They look like they pulled them off the line before the, the trim paint was applied. Well, you know that the original is actually metal, that part, right? Like the, the S21, the frame is metal and the right. frame continues into the camera bump. Yeah. So here, what it is, is here, the frame is metal too, but the frame ends on the edge and the back panel, which is a glass plastic. Yeah continues into the camera bump and imitates the metal camera bump on. The, so you're actually better off from a material and design perspective to get the S21. However, there's one area where I think the S21 Fan Edition is better. It has a real 3X telephotos OIS that has an 8 megapixel sensor instead of that stupid 64 megapixel 1.1X cropped zoom that you have on the S21. I mean, either way, right? It's like, I don't know. Is, are people who are going to recognize that distinction? No. Are they shopping in these price points? Like, But that's not the people who are listening to this yeah. podcast. People listening to the podcast want a good telephoto. And in my yeah. opinion, based on my S20 fan edition last year, that telephoto is better than the 64 megapixel 1.1X. That's it. Yeah. No, 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 no thoughts on that. I, I would get the S21 or the But look, 699, are you nuts? Like, yeah. No. Like that need that needed to come out to be right in line with the Pixel 6 at 599. Because then then you then you ask yourself, do I get a Pixel and get the great software of the Pixel, but no telephoto? Like, well, of course there's super zoom, but mm -hmm. super res zoom. But or do I get like a Samsung experience, which I think for some people is a good experience. A lot Absolutely. of people in North America really features. love it. Yeah, for right? sure. For sure. And then you get a real telephoto. Like and then it, then you can say, okay, you know, you now have a bit of a choice that makes sense at the same price point. At $100 more, though, just go buy an S21 or wait for the S22, which is like coming out next week. I'm joking. I don't know. You know, but it I, sounds, it feels to me like the S22 is literally looming above our heads right now. It does. I mean, it was obviously a victim of timing, obviously a supply chain victim. You know, it's, it's, it's a compromised product, and I think they're doing the best they can with it. My beef is with the fan edition line in general, which I think I've said before. Like, when... When there were rumors that Samsung was starting a line of phones called the Fan Edition, I envisioned things like, you know, okay, they're gonna do they're gonna do a custom line of phones with all the stuff that the the point zero zero five percent of Samsung super fans complain about in the comments. These things are gonna have micro SD card slots. They're gonna have with those weird paint jobs from three years ago that people say they miss. You know, the CD-ROM finish from the Note Ten, <laughs> or they're gonna have just weird like toss-ins for you know the fans. And then it turns out that the fan edition line is just a something cheap to slot in the mid-range between the A series and the flagships. And I mean, that's I'm sorry, it's dull. And it's a yeah, it's no, a failure look, in messaging, I think. Again, it's dull because it's a bar phone too, right? Like also it's a that. bar phone that's a cheaper version of already dull bar phone. I'm sorry to say. Like the yeah, S21, right. unless you get the Ultra, stay home, okay? Like I mean, for people who want a smaller phone, I guess the S21 is okay. But I'm just saying, like, it's not, like, I'd buy another phone at that price point for that. I don't know. Like, there's, 
Pixel 5a, okay? Sorry, I know it's not the same thing. You can't compare it spec-wise, but it's a way better phone, in my opinion. It's way better. way cheaper, too. And yeah. w- But have you thought at all about what the Fan Edition foldables are going to look like? Because I certainly have started to. I'm like, what if, I mean, what would a repackaged Flip 3 Fan Edition like? Like an $800 Glastic? Flip 3? Glastic? Snapdragon 778? Sure, something like, right? Uh, maybe, maybe they even go back to a smaller outer display or something. You know, like there's... Or a single, I don't know. That that would be exciting to me because the foldables. How about no display at all, Michael? <laughs> just just an audio audio only flip phone. I love it. No, no, it. no. The inside, like outside display. Oh, outside. Oh, just no, no outside, outside display. Yeah. You know, it's funny. They have mock-ups with no outside display. Samsung Display, the company, has mock-ups of the first flip with no external display. We're gonna talk about that in a second. Yeah. The next phone is a Realme GT2 Pro, which we knew was coming. Again, another, just so you know, these are all the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 phones other than the Fan Edition, which is last year's chip. But the, you know, these phones, the OnePlus 10 Pro, this Realme, and then the phones we talked about last week, you know, the Xiaomi 12 and the Moto Edge X3, all these are the result of the Snapdragon Summit we went to where they promised us all these phones. And they're here. I mean, they're not here because they're Chinese phones. But again, this is a Chinese release of this phone that's coming globally eventually and you know if you look at the specs it's essentially a oneplus 10 pro yeah i actually have one of these here um (laughs) it's crazy i wasn't going to open it i wasn't terribly interested until i realized that it has a 150 degree ultra wide camera you know and that's why i'm like notice we didn't get any specs from from oneplus on the cameras and i'm thinking to myself bbk group really consolidates like they really use the parts bin system just like xiaomi does and i'm thinking to myself we've had rumors of an oppo find x5 right because they're going to skip the four that has also no wider ultra wide and now here we have a realme with wider ultra wide and they gave us a one plus 10 didn't give us specs on the ultra wide what might happen there Oh, that would be amazing. Know. I would love to see this because I've shot a few, uh, I've taken a few shots with this real me and it, it is really, really So you have this phone? I do. Yeah. You, have you used it much at all other than the few shots you took? I have not like pixel peeped the shots. I've taken a few, you know, side by side with the Pixel 6 Pro and it's ultra wide. And I think folks, if not a lot of people keep ultra wide specs in their head. So typically, Miriam, what we're seeing on ultra wide is what? 113 to 125? Yeah, that's roughly the range. Yeah. Yeah, Like 150 degrees is wild. And it's a special mode you have to go into. It's called the fisheye mode. Realme calls it the world's first fisheye mode on a phone, but that's not true. And when it just, it's, it's like you take one full stride backward in the viewfinder and it turns it into yeah, this. It's, it's like another like 0.3 zoom instead of yeah but instead of 0.7 yeah and yeah, yeah. it's um it's really fun i haven't got the opportunity yet to really play with it like in the way that we did when phones first started shipping with these ultra wides like the g5 g6 from lg um but i'm really excited to do so because ultra wide as i think i think we're uh, of agreement on this ultra wide is a lot of fun when you're a it's great fun. So have you noticed any performance, uh, like Not, have you played games to see if all. there's any kind of throttling? Because that's a big big question everybody has on real phones, not the Qualcomm benchmarking we did. Right. Because I, I did a benchmarking for hot hardware. But on the real phones, is it actually good on throttling and stuff? So I guess stay tuned to Michael's channel to find out. Please do. Maybe. Yeah, I have not, uh, I've not played, I haven't even logged in. I just wanted to use the cameras and kind of get some Got early it. thoughts yeah, yeah. there. So we'll see. So 65 watt charging, 5,000 milliamp hour battery. There's no wireless charging on that, is there? I do not believe so. 
And then tons of RAM and storage, uh, 120 hertz AMOLED, of course. And the main sensor is an IMX766. That's the same sensor as the Oppo Find X3 Pro main sensor and ultra-wide sensor. And it's the same sensor as the ultra-wide on the OnePlus 9 series. And then this, this 150 degree camera is a 50 megapixel from Samsung, a GN1, which I think is a newer lens. I've heard of that thing. Or a newer sensor. Interesting. I mean, look, this looks like a great phone. I know I'm getting one eventually. They've promised me one for the global model. Apparently, you're very lucky, Michael. They had very few devices to send out to the non-Chinese media. And so they picked, I think, some of the top YouTube creators. And that's how you got yours. Because I've been talking to Realme PR about this. Yeah. And they're like, we're sorry. We, cool. We'll get you one as soon as we can. But it's not happening just yet. So One thing I will I'm say. Jealous. Well, like you could. Borrow mine like very very soon, and also the the back like the um, ah, what's it called? This polymer stuff, it's recycled paper it's or something. Is what I heard. It's inspired by that. Yeah, it's an eco friendly angle. Um, and it, it's it's less the material. Like the material feels good, but the design. Uh, Fukasawa is the designer. Very yeah, very right. famous. They've done they've done several partnerships with before. him. Yeah, yeah, and I mean uh, my favorite was one of the ones from a couple months ago where he basically the phone design looks like a travel suitcase. Like it's gray with those oh, panels. Oh, yes, yes. I have that one. Yeah. The, the Realme uh, Master's Edition. Yes, yes. I mean, like so cool. Realme like, GT Master's Edition. I, I love about it. slab phones being boring, but when, you are, when you're doing this, when you're pushing the boundaries in terms of design on the back and you're playing with new materials, playing with new visual, like, it's it's really really awesome and i love not feeling glass on my fingertips because it's slippery and smudgy and fingerprinty and whatever and there are a lot more materials that make a lot more sense so good for only for that all right next phone is the i'm gonna be very brief on this i did an unboxing video of the vivo v23 and v23 pro these are vivo's mid-rangers the v series every year they sent them to me under embargo which is nice so i got a yeah. video early on which is doing really well because this is an India phone and my India YouTube audience is going nuts over it. <laughs> Good. And here's what you need to know. $400 for the V23, $520 for the V23 Pro. The V23 is metal and glass. Turns out the back is glass, actually. I, I said plastic in my video because it felt like plastic, but it's not plastic. It's glass, it turns out. Wah, wah, wah. Anyway, the point is that these phones are affordable and they have some decent specs. The biggest spec is the uh, crazy color-changing glass, glass back on both of them. And then the, the cheaper one actually has a metal frame. It looks like an iPhone, has that slab side. It really does look like an know, iPhone. And it's actual yeah. aluminum, which is really surprising. But the more expensive one is a plastic frame. And the only difference Weird. between the two is the main camera is 64 on the cheaper one, 108 on the more expensive one, and then the chip inside. Uh, MediaTek Dimensity 920 on the cheap one and 1200 on the more expensive one. And I think there's a tiny difference in display size and battery size, but they're identical in every other way. Even storage is identical, the options. And even the notch is identical. You know, it's interesting to me because the big like news ticket item here is two 50 megapixel front cameras, two of them, one ultra wide and one autofocus main. And they're in a notch, kind of like the iPhone mm. in the front. And now there is no face ID through that. Like that's like, you know, secure face ID. There's just the usual unlock your phone face ID. But with autofocus on that front camera, I was impressed with the selfies I got out of this. And then you get the a real ultra wide. Just remember the Pixel 3 XL had and you really liked? Yeah. And then 
in addition, it does bokeh video recording up to 4K on the front camera. Hmm. So it does the the cinema mode from the iPhone, but with the front camera. Video which bokeh. Is, uh, software video I mean, bokeh it's is a bad complete in gimmick. every sense. Yeah. But there you go. There, there's everything you need to know about the V23. Much more excited about the color changing paint. No, frankly. it's really cool, actually. It's hard yeah. to see in my video, but like if you just change, it goes from blue to gold. It's, I like this kind of turquoise blue. Depending on the cool. angle that you're looking at, right? Correct. It's not color it's just changing an angle in like thing. the yeah, way no, that no, those it's, it's not like were electric back in color change. No, no. Yeah, okay. It's not like the windows on the Dreamliner, the airplane, you know. No, no, I was thinking like the thermal ones where you touch it and it changes from oh, purple oh, to pink. Oh, yeah, no. And, no yeah. That would be cool. That actually. would be cool. <laughs> be, you could you could see the highlights of all the parts that are warmer. People would listen um, to this podcast are like, "Man, I'm so glad Michael doesn't design phones. He would make the gaudiest, lamest shit." <laughs> I'm waiting for the first YouTube creator to be big enough that they get a custom phone made for them oh, in yeah. China. If it's not you, it's going to be Marquez. Yeah, well, CNET did it. I mean, you, we, we could do it now. We would just have to settle for some ODM design that looks like a Moto G, you know. Oof. Yeah. Speaking of Moto, thanks for the transition. Fantastic. Sure. Uh, <laughs> there's no Moto here, but there's a Nokia G, <laughs> G400. There's two phones, three phones I want to just mention. I'm going to have links in the show notes that were announced at CES. Nokia announced a whole bunch of phones that are completely forgettable. Yep. The only one that's kind of interesting is a 5G phone that's called the Nokia G400. And it's only not forgettable because it's affordable and it's probably going to come to some US carriers. Less than $250 for a 5G phone with decent specs. But again, they're kind of forgettable, so forget that. Check it out on the link. There's also, TCL has two phones also going to the US carriers, the 30XC and the 30V. The V obviously is Verizon. The XC is T-Mobile. They're pretty much identical phones. I believe the Verizon version might have millimeter wave. So this might be the cheapest millimeter wave phone, but I could be wrong. Brad hopefully is listening and can email me later to tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Let's talk about laptops and other interesting tech. All right. We have a lot to talk about here. I want to start with the TCL since we're talking about TCL. TCL made a laptop, the Book 14 Go, and it's $349. It's, as far as I know, not coming to the US yet, but it's coming to some, some markets. But what surprised me is that it's got 4G and it's powered by a Snapdragon 7C. Did you see that? I did. I, I, we were just at the Snapdragon Summit and I think a lot of us were saying, man, it sure is a shame we're not hearing about new hardware partners for the always connected PC program because it really seems like it's dying on the vine here. <laughs> and now here we are. So that's good. It's, it's a bit of a relief. So, I mean, it, again, looks like a generic ODM design from some Chinese maker. And, I mean, obviously, it's TCL. I'm sure they have the resources to create their own because they make their own displays and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I'm interested in the fact that it's $349. I am, too. And it's a full-on laptop, and it's running a Snapdragon chip. That's what's got me excited. I think that's the thing. Like, the Snapdragon chips, when they were announced a, a number of years ago, like, they seemed to like pop open a new potential frontier. For laptops, I'm sitting there saying like, boy, these are fanless. They're going to last a long time on battery. They're always connected. It seems like a great idea. Can't wait until every manufacturer builds some. And I feel like all the time since then has been, there's been some really great ones. There's been a lot of really forgettable ones and they've always been too expensive. So, right. And this is finally the right price point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is like Chromebook levels of price. Right. Yeah. So- and 4G, I think. That's the other thing. I think there are Chromebooks at that price point, no problem. Like a lot of the MediaTek ones are awesome, but they don't have 4G, so. Right. Uh, this price point is particularly interesting to me because I've been playing with Samsung DeX for the last um, like two weeks in, in preparation oh, yeah. to make a video. And I'm trying to answer this question of, 
look, if you already own a laptop, then you don't have to have this discussion. But if you don't, what if you're somebody who, like, say you're a teenager and you've only had a phone all your life and you're starting to think, well, should I buy a laptop for college or for the next phase of my life? Do I need to buy a laptop or do I, should I buy like one of these mobile conversion dock things like the next dock or should I get something like a Chromebook or an always connected PC? And I think that's going to be, that's going to be an, a, a question whose answers change a lot over the next few years. Yeah. So, you know, check it out. Uh, hopefully it comes to the US at some point. Hopefully I get my hands on one. We'll see. You want to talk about ASUS. I know you're very excited about ASUS. <laughs> I do. I do indeed. Yeah. So, so we're, we'll talk about this in a second, but Samsung had a lot of concept folding panels at the show. Right. And one of them is this big, big 17-inch OLED that folds into essentially the footprint of a 13-inch laptop. It right. is a bigger version of what Lenovo did with the ThinkPad X1 Fold. It's foldable PC. Yeah, you reviewed that a while back. I did. And then I sent that back to Lenovo because it was defective. And I bought another one and it was defective. That's right. Boy, what a, oh, God. What a failure. Um, and it, it's a big shame because that form factor makes a lot of sense. But here's what it is. Asus, like I say, 17-inch folds down to 13-inch. Comes with an optional Bluetooth keyboard accessory. It doesn't come with it. I think they're going to sell it separately. And when it folds up, it seems to have that same kind of leather casing. Like it, it is very much a blown up version of what Lenovo launched uh, in 2020. And they're going to launch it in the middle of 2022. So they'll wow. probably drop it at Computex, right? So Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, how exciting. Because I can't tell you how disappointed I was when that X1 Fold kept failing me because it's a really good idea for PCs. And I think a lot of my commenters, as I recall shared the same sentiment once I showed them, hey, it's not just that it folds, that it's like a foldy boy. It's that <laughs> it can be a giant widescreen laptop that can collapses into a hardcover book size. And it like, yeah, you yeah. don't need to carry a backpack. You can just carry a little satchel. And yet when you deploy it, you have a computer that's bigger than anything else you could carry. Like it's, it's such, oh, there's so much potential. And I think this one is going to fall down on the Windows 11 because- Microsoft still has not optimized Windows 11 yeah. for this kind Plus, of thing. Intel XC graphics is going to be hard for you to render your videos on that thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be an editing machine for sure. I mean, wouldn't it be cool, though? Like, it, one it day. Would. One day. One day. We'll get there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think this looks really great. And you're right, Computex. Maybe it gives you a reason to, like, I don't know if we'll be able to go to Computex since Taiwan has been very tight about letting people in mm -hmm. because they've had less pandemic than we have. Good for them. Good for them. But hopefully we can all go to Computex. I would love to go. With the CES, you know, pull out cancellation because of COVID, Omicron, I'm a little less optimistic now about things like MWC, even though I really want it to happen. Yeah. And of course, Computex. But this is a reason for you to come to Computex. It sure is. <laughs> Just by itself, so, I would love to be there for I'm that. I'm going to drag you there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Lenovo ThinkBook Plus Gen 3. That's another one you brought to the table. It is another one I wanted to talk about because <laughs> Lenovo can always be relied on. They're like Razer, right, at a trade show. They can always be relied on to be like, hey, here's 17 laptops, but also here's a weird one. Hold <laughs> <laughs> my beer. <laughs> yeah. I got like, something better than without Razer. Without fail, everyone else in the room like scurries over to cover the 16 things that they have to cover. And I'm like, cool, I'm not going to hit those. Tell me about this laptop into which you have built a tablet. Because that's what they did. Like <laughs> Lenovo built a 17-inch laptop. They moved the keyboard over and stuck a tablet in the keyboard deck. A seven-inch tablet, right? It is. I'm looking <laughs> at it now, and it's stunningly 
weird. It's just bizarre. It's very awkward. Uh, <laughs> 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 so up until now, um, you've linked to a Verge story by Monica Chin, who's which is a really great write up. Even though I completely disagree, like I think we're <laughs> we're very different laptop users. Because Monica references the Asus um, ZenBook Pro and Zephyrus Pro Duo, though they're the Asus dual screen laptops, which I yeah. find amazing. Well, she apparently Monica thinks very differently about that. And I've seen this debate go on in the, on Twitter as well. Like, do you want a dual screen laptop that pushes the keyboard deck down so far that you kind of have to hunt and peck like a T-Rex? Or do you want to just have a kind of a normal keyboard, but offset so far to the left that it might be a challenge? And I don't know. I mean, what do you think? What's, what's your opinion on that? I, I had the original Asus ZenBook Duo Pro, I think it ZenBook was, Pro for Duo, a brief yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. I did a lot of my audio editing on it for a while there because there's a lot of real estate and you can set up the second screen to be like your, you know, your reference material, I guess. Absolutely. I liked it a lot, but I felt, yeah, the the trackpad placement for me was really awkward and I ended up using a mouse a lot, which was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't also found that having to carry that little palm rest around was a pain and I didn't need it. So I was a bit uncomfortable on that keyboard. So, So you know, I love the idea. I just figured that there's got to be a better way. And I'm not sure what that better way could be. Uh, maybe it's this. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, I, I, I don't know. For me, I, I, I'm looking forward to trying this. I really want to review it. I feel like I might mirror my phone down there, you know, or I might just use it in some of the ways that I use the, the ZenBook. But for me, like you said, having that second display right below the screen so I can reference it. I used to just take notes. You know, I used to have a script up top and then my reference material down below. Or when I'm gaming, I can't remember my joystick assignments because there's like 40 buttons on my joystick. So I keep the joystick <laughs> diagram on the second screen. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot you can do with a second screen. And I, I look forward to seeing um, seeing the ways people utilize this. Yeah, I want a second screen on a laptop, but I'm not sure how to make that happen without it being weird. I mean, the touch bar didn't work. I think Asus's ZenBook Duo was and their Zephyrus equivalent mm-hmm. was especially the tiltable thing yes. was really cool. Yes. I think this is the problem with this I, I have is like, I'm right-handed and I'm going <laughs> to want to touch this thing. It would be less of an intrusion to be if it was on my left somehow. And the fact that you can't, like if this was modular and you could pick up the tablet and take it out and use it as an Android tablet and slide the keyboard over and drop it back in on the other side. Like oh, wow. if the keyboard would slide left to right and this was an actual tablet that charged the laptop charge, but used as a second display. That's like, that's what Asus would do because Lenovo wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, see? that would have been, that'd be some next level stuff. I, that's I, I what bet you Lenovo need. would have thought of it. Lenovo's got, got enough crazy in its design DNA, but you know, a movable keyboard is like, how many points of failure would you like? Oh, all of them? Okay. <laughs> like just, it slides. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. Or even, like, here's the thing. If you make the Bluetooth keyboard and trackpad removable and Bluetooth, Mm. Or, or you know, auto-paired and wirelessly charged or pogo pins in the back. Pogo pins. Both the tablet and the keyboard can dock into this bottom level. And, you know, you'd swap them if you want. Yeah. And you can remove them and have more real estate if you want. Yeah. And you take the tablet with you when you go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And it's got a little of the sanitizer in there, too. Put a UV box into the keyboard deck. Why don't you? There you go. So we solved the problem for them. Gen 2, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Trademark. Copyright. 
Oh God, we should get paid for this stuff, dude. <laughs> uh, and then, so you talked on the, about the Samsung Display Concept foldables. I mean, they showed two ways, right? The one that folds like kind of like a, a snail, right? Like one panel folds onto the other, and then the third panel folds and covers everything. Yep. And then there's one that folds like a Z shape, where yeah, it folds in two, and then the third one folds and it gives you an outside screen, right? Yeah. Is that, is that right? That's correct. They call it the Flex S and the Flex G. These aren't commercial products. These are still concepts, but as a result, I was kind of a little less excited. And then I remembered they have showed us these concepts before. Um, they've showed us this stuff, I think about seven or eight months ago. It seems to me like this is not new from Samsung either. Well, it's, it, there's, they're new in the, way, in, the, in the sense that they are much more polished. The last time we saw them was at the SID, mm. which is like a, um, a systems in display conference or something like that. And it was a very shiny video there were there was some obviously a lot of rendering going on it was a very obvious sizzle reel so they yeah. basically faked it all now at ces they have these products that that really look quite i mean not commercial ready but really close to it and that says to me that maybe we are going to start seeing these so yeah you're right the flex s is a is a three-way foldable that leaves one panel exposed on the outside so you can still use it there's a tablet size and a phone size and then the flex g when it closes it, when it, it's also a three-way foldable, and when it closes, it's it has no exposed display area. It's like a snail. It is, and I don't tell me like I am excited for both. I don't see how I why I would ever want a foldable that completely obscures the entire display and leaves me nothing on the outside. That's because you're not a construction worker. Is that what it is? Like, are we talking about like a job site kind of thing, a commercial like enterprise? <laughs> Just, I mean, it can you imagine be. like eventually when. Folding phones are strong enough and durable enough that, you know, here's the latest cat phone, folding phone. <laughs> Yo, man, a cat folding. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm joking, but I see how you want to still protect the display potentially. And then maybe is it, maybe there's enough of an edge that you can get your notifications on a ticker on the edge or something. Do a little Surface Duo 2 kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, that, that one confuses me. They were also showing off uh, the rollable, which everybody loves to see, but they don't call it that. Mm -hmm. they, they've, they've introduced some new nomenclature to this. They call that the, um, the, the scroll or, or the slide or something like that. And they reserve the rollable term for like a the deployable TV that goes TVs. into it. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is Samsung display. So, you That's know, right. they can have their, like they're, it's almost its own company at this point. I'm joking, but it kind no, of, but makes, it kind of, I mean, it, it was spun off in 2012. They make the and, display for the Apple Find and they make the display for the iPhone. That's what I was just going to say. That's what's exciting to me about it. Cause in my CES wrap up, it's like, first of all, this stuff looks way too finished not to come to the market at some point. Second of all, that big 17 inch panel, um, was previously leaked. Like they already have a Galaxy Book Flex or Galaxy Book Fold brand name, like and and marketing oh. material that was leaked last year. And third, even if Samsung doesn't make this stuff, you're absolutely right. They make the panel for the Find N. They make the panel for other foldable devices. So somebody's going to make these things. I was about to say TCL, but no, they'll make I mean, their own panel. They're shopping around. This is you know, this is a trade show. Remember, they're just showing these and going like, "Hey, hey who wants to buy these?" Exactly. From us, right? Exactly. So, and Asus is clearly their customer there, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's exciting. I think it's cool. I'm look. I'm super excited now that I finally found a a folding phone that fits my life. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something delightful about going back to a small front screen that is fully one hand use. It has the right aspect ratio. I don't know. It's that's the thing that 
it's almost like I want this phone to be not even a folding phone, but that phone in that size, you know, and the thickness doesn't bother me because I get all the flagship specs and the battery life that you don't get on the smaller phones like the Asus Zenfone 8 and the, I've got the Sony Xperia 5 Mark III here, you know, the smaller version of the one you reviewed in the yes. summer. Yep. And that thing is is small. I mean, to today's standards. And I'm I'm rediscovering small phones, I guess. But then I can open it up. It's like yeah, holy crap. See, you need to what you need to review is the Balmuda phone. Balmuda. Oh, I heard about the one that. from the Japanese toaster company. It's like a yeah, fine yeah, yeah, den yeah. that doesn't open. <laughs> yeah, but it's a that's almost too small. Or how about the Jelly Bean or whatever it was? That oh, the you Jelly, reviewed? the Jelly Two from Unihertz. Yeah. I had the Unihertz, uh, the rugged version of that they sent me. Yeah, the Atom. Atom? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They weren't very happy because I didn't really do much with it. But it's like, it's not really that compelling of a phone. It's just like a party, one party trick thing. Look, we made a really tiny, really rugged phone. You know what's crazy is I saw one of those in the wild. Oh my. In Brooklyn, like somebody's taking a picture with like, you know, their thumb of, of the Williamsburg Bridge. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I don't mean to bother you. Is that the Jelly Phone too? And she was like, "Yeah." I'm like, "What?" And she's like, "Yeah, I saw a Facebook ad, and I really wanted something simple, but that still was a smartphone." I'm like, "That's you're the amazing, cool. I'm glad you enjoy it." I mean, the Palm is. Do you know? Do they still sell the Palm? Oh God, the Palm. That thing is like what four years old now or something. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Duh. anyway, I found the box the other day. Did you? Kind of fell out of the pile. <laughs> just, what is this? What is this? All right. Anyway, the few things for me that kind of stood out, the freestyle projector. So whoever came up with that idea at Samsung is genius. Like maybe I'm naive because they've made projectors like this, like not Samsung necessarily, but other companies have made projectors like this before. But to me, it was just like, what? This is incredible. What is incredible? Like everyone on Twitter is losing their mind about it. I feel like I'm the only person who it's doesn't small. care about this. Okay. It's relatively affordable. It's 1080p. We don't know the brightness. That's the big question mark. But it has auto keystone, auto level, and auto focus. So you point it at a surface and it gives you a perfect rectangular image right away. That's cool. Which is cool. Yeah. And it has a battery pack base that you can buy because it's got USB-C for power. So you can power it uh, wirelessly if you want to put it outside or in your van or whatever. And it has an adapter, Michael, for a light bulb. You can right. mount it to a light bulb socket in the ceiling. And then, you know, there's like little lens covers you can buy that turn into an ambient light, like an actual light bulb where you can just turn it on in your kitchen and it projects like something little pattern on the ground or whatever, right? Huh. And then you can repurpose it and turn it into a projector. It's it's just really interesting because it opens up like for retail places and, and like business use, it has all these opportunities for being pre-installed in spaces to project things in, you know, in a fixed environment like a store. But for the consumer, I think it's great because you can now have a projector in the kitchen, you don't need to set up a shelf for it. You know, you don't have to worry about the geometry. Is it focused? Whatever. It just works, right? Yeah. No, I, for it sure. It has a built-in 360-degree speaker as well. So there you go. That's why I'm excited. I, You know, I, it's exciting. It's fun. I like that it tries to do so many different things, and, and that kind of makes sense in a context like this. I just, projectors, to me, they're always exciting in theory, and then I get one, and then I throw it up on the wall, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's not that great. It's not no, that but great. You know like, what? There's For, no contrast because it's a white wall. 
you know? No, but that's the thing, right? Most people don't care. They just want to see their, you, you know, YouTube or whatever, Netflix content. It has to be big enough. It's just in the background, in the kitchen or whatever. And they don't, you know, that's kind of why I see it. I just, it's just an interesting form factor for a projector. It is. I feel like that's basically what I'm excited because I've, we've never seen a, and at least that I'm aware of, because I'm not in the projector, like really following the projector vibe here, but. Related to that, Samsung made a remote control last year that charged solar, which, you know, no big deal. Mm -hmm. And then now it also charges by harvesting a Wi-Fi from your router. Yes. This is... Parasite. Very cool. This is (laughs) very, very awesome. I just want to mention it, so I just just put it in the notes. I saw this pop up a ton of my feed, and I was like, why are people talking about a remote control? I'm too busy to look this up, whatever. And then I looked it up for this show. And you're like, whoa. Miriam, here's the thing. Do you, do you know what the worst thing is? Wasted energy. And when right. you have radiant RF energy going all through your apartment anyway because of your Wi-Fi, why not harness that to save yourself the hassle of having to replace a couple AA batteries once a year? Like, I know and it's a tiny thing. And you know what this thing, opens up? This opens up wearables very soon, like the, uh, the fitness trackers. I'm not talking about the smartwatches. They still need more energy. Yes. But things, we're getting to the point where fitness trackers are so efficient, like two weeks on a charge. That I wouldn't be surprised if another another two or three years we can actually have them slowly, constantly recharge when you're at home on your wrist. You never have to take it off. You get that RF capture and you combine it maybe with one of those automatic, uh, you know, uh, mechanisms yeah, from a real yeah, watch. A little kinetic. Little, yeah, yeah, energy kinetic, capture. Yeah. And solar. You know, here's the crazy thing. You know how the vibration motor on these things, a lot of them are linear motors now. Yeah. Basically a mass on a track mm-hmm. and then there's a. You know, current applied through one direction, it moves one way. Current applied the other direction, it moves the other way. It's completely free moving. Yeah. And that's why when you shake your phone, sometimes you hear stuff because sometimes it's that motor, if it's not spring-loaded, if it's spring-loaded, you won't hear it. But the point is, you know, the really good haptics are all linear motors. That's what the trackpad on your Mac is, right? Mm. If you put that in a fitness tracker, you can reverse it, right? You can make it, don't put a spring on it. And when you shake your hand, you're generating the, power. The thing is moving on the track and generating a current. You harvest that. It's, a re, it's like regen braking on a car. It's like regenerative braking. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And it can be the same device. So you don't need to add a thing to your watch. No, like, this is perfect. Right. Do that. Do the RF harvesting. Throw in the geothermal energy capture from the Matrix watch. Oh, put a solar panel you- on there. Suck the juice out of your yeah, out of your body. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Man, you'll be able to sell uh, power back to the grid from your smartwatch soon. Oh my god, look at that! <laughs> See, this is why I love this podcast because <laughs> we're crazy. Okay, <laughs> Anchor Work B six hundred video bar. I have nothing to say about this other than it's a webcam with a built in light bar. Who didn't think of that before? Pretty cool. Like, don't get me wrong. For somebody like you. Or, you know, all the YouTube creators we know who do a lot, who have a nice studio setup, it's never going to replace that. It's never going to give you the light ring and the DSLR quality of your webcam setup, right? Right. But for a lot of people, they have a decent webcam on their device or external one, like I do right now for the Skype call, but I don't have the lighting to go with it. Yeah. This has a, a little capacitive slider on the front that you can adjust the brightness. It's super dumb and simple, yet super brilliant. That's all I, why I put it on there. It's good that people are paying attention to this now. And it's exactly what I expect after a couple of years spent virtual working and everyone's saying, boy, these laptop webcams really suck. Yeah. It's 2K. It's got autofocus and it's got a very nice LED light bar built in. And that's basically it. All right. Let's talk about transportation slash mobility at CES. 
There's a few yes. announcements that stick out. There's a lot here. I just want you to know, I'm not going to talk about GM's announcement. They have the Silverado EV coming. They have uh, the Equinox EV coming. There's a whole bunch of other announcements from Hyundai who acquired Boston Dynamics. So there's a whole bunch of spot robot cool stuff going on. I want to focus on the things that I feel are really, really, really significant. There's so much transportation at, at CS. So for me, the first one, I think you chose it as well, was the... Uh, bmw ix flow and yeah. it's a complete gimmick <laughs> and you know they they were my sponsor i was going to get my hands on literally on that thing like i was going to use it try it i didn't i'm bummed but it's still super cool that somebody essentially made an e-ink wrap for a car it is ridiculous so full disclosure i think i was pitched by bmw for the same for the same or similar thing. And also I was just sent the e-ink news too. Like they both, you know, from just in a traditional right. PR sense. And I was like, okay, the car changes. Con- All right. Well, I guess that could be cool. And I did not think about it again until I saw the, the first video from, from Vegas where the car is just backing up. It's being yeah. repositioned outside in a parking lot. And I'm like, well, so what's the big deal? And then the, the and whole then, SUV boom. changes from white to I black. Know. Before and so here's the thing that, that I recommend you folks do is don't actually look at the videos that BMW produced right. because they're so polished that it looks fake. It looks like a render. Yes. Look at the videos from Vegas that people have captured and the tweets. I saw it in a tweet the first time, Kyle Connor over at Out of Spec Reviews. And, and I'm like, <laughs> my jaw dropped. I was like, then you realize it's not a render and it's not a polished video. It's actually happening. Right. Uh, Look, it's completely nuts. useless. It's a gimmick. It's expensive. I'm sure, like well, crazy expensive. To be fair, they do. They try to make it practical in the press release. E Ink is like, and you know, look, yeah. I've thought about this, and maybe you can actually speak to this, Miriam, because you have way more experience with EVs at this point than I do. When I'm having range anxiety in an electric car, and I'm using climate control to either combat the sun or try to get more heat, I'm worried. I'm worried about how many miles I'm taking out of the tank. So if you can make your car white or black depending on what kind of thermal control you want like that'll give you a few more miles at least right i mean look there are some uses here like you said that the definitely getting the black turned on when it's cold out Mm -hmm. capture some heat turn on the white when it's hot out you know reject some heat that makes sense the other one is a charge indicator while you're charging you can from (laughs) at a glance from a distance uh, see how charged your car is. What a cool Another idea. one is you want to find your car in the parking lot, you push the button on the remote, the car just goes... Oh, the car just changes right? color. Oh, that yeah, would be yeah. perfect. Yes. Uh, another one is... Uh, so a lot of ambient uses, right? And another one is, of course, personalization. Yep. The, the problem is that the... <sighs> If this could be something you could buy as a five, even a five thousand dollar option, which is a lot, but on a car that's really expensive, like the iX is a pretty not a cheap car, mm-hmm. that would be acceptable. But this is probably more expensive than the car at this point, oh, right? Like almost it's certainly you, it's a, it's a wrap, and then it has to be cut. Like the edges of the e ink have to match the edges of the fender, the different parts, so that you can actually have it look decent. Right. So then you have to do that, and then you have to power the whole thing. So imagine the car now has electric circuits running like entire the entire body of the car and then on this car it's also the wheels so the part of the wheels are are turned yeah the like, rims like they, they had like a correct, spinner the mode rims. it was like animating the wheels so yeah. my point is like how practical and then you know you get into a, a tiny you, you just rub the fender on the, the bumper on something or you know here in cities like 
drivers don't really care and they bump <laughs> your bumper in the absolutely in the, you park on the street and yeah. the next thing you know is you, you you lose a segment right because it gets damaged or whatever yeah and then your car looks really janky and it's probably really expensive to fix so it's not a pain what i think i would like to see is the rap industry which as you know is a very big industry mm -hmm. nowadays like wraps are a thing mm -hmm. a lot of the recent car manufacturers are no longer offering cool colors honestly is because you can get a wrap for a thousand dollars for any car wow i didn't realize they were that cheap it's about that. It starts at about that. Huh. So you could do that, and then you get a really custom color on your car. So imagine if the wrap industry really worked tightly with e-ink or other companies to create a wrap system that is easily retrofitable like the wrap systems are today, and maybe is three or four grand to wrap the car. But then it's, you know, it's manageable, right? Like, I think that's where it should go. I don't think a single manufacturer should be doing this. Yeah. But I do applaud BMW for actually technically pulling it off because we've all known this was going to happen one day. And, you know, they, I hate also the fact that they use color because it's really a change in shade. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's monochrome. Right. But wow. Like it just looks, I was kind of like, man, until I saw until you a real see video it. And I was just like, holy crap. Amazing. Incredible. So that's one thing. Uh, BMW also announced the iX M60, which is their super high-end sport model of the iX. And this is the fastest SUV they've ever made. And, you know, it's up there with the Model X performance. So that's actually nice to see uh, BMW delivering a car that can compete with the uh, existing top-of-the-line competition. <laughs> but what got me more excited about, honestly, is Mercedes's Vision EQXX. And the reason for that is because I reviewed the EQS. I actually drove all three versions and wrote a review for TechRadar that got published just before the end of the year last year. December 31st, I believe, in fact. And I love the car, but I don't like the exterior design. I thought it looked like, this looks like an egg. It looks like a, you know, it just looks awkward. And so seeing Mercedes create a really beautiful looking EV, but that unless, unlike all the other vision concepts they've made in the past, doesn't look like a complete far out prototype, but something that looks like, first of all, is drivable. And mm -hmm. looks like it could become a production vehicle has got me really excited because that thing, I see a bit of Tycon in it. I see a bit of that 30s Art Deco. Looks like an know, Aston Martin. Mercedes race cars of the, the, the period. Like, I, it looks like a DBS to me. It looks like the Casino Royale Aston Martin. It just looks, I think it looks home. really beautiful. And the era on this is crazy. Yeah, the, the, the drag coefficient is very negligible, isn't it? 0.17 the production eqs the real electric egg car that you can buy i call it the egg car from mercedes not a flattering <laughs> thing for their flagship is it no. <laughs> um is 0 0.20 so this wow. is 0 0.17 which is a huge a huge difference yeah it doesn't seem like much on paper but wow you know it's a polarizing design i think i've saw some very funny tweets when it was announced i think i think it's an easy design to make fun of if it's not if you're say, um, I make fun of my friend Hayato because we disagree about the Rivian. I think that thing looks ridiculous and he loves it. <laughs> but you know, of course he hates this. And I'm like, no, I love right. this. I would get this in a second. I yeah. saw the, the concept EQ from Mercedes a couple years ago at, at South by, yeah. and I liked that, but I, by the time it made it to production, it was like, oh, okay. So you guys just made it look like a boring old SUV. It's an egg. <laughs> this thing is, I, I love, I love any kind of design that has an assertive viewpoint. And this is, yeah. this is assertive and it's retro. Like I, I, yeah. I love it's, it. It's retro modern and it's beautiful. And 
Also, it's got some very impressive technology. So this mm -hmm. is a car built around efficiency. So performance-wise, they they're saying a zero to sixty of seven seconds, which for an electric car is mm. kind of dog slow. But yeah. the range on it is six hundred twenty miles on a very small battery pack, relatively speaking, which is interesting. And the battery pack is not liquid cooled, which is also really interesting because that goes against everything we know about battery packs. But apparently, they're claiming that because they're not stressing the battery pack by not pushing the performance they're able to maintain reasonable temperatures. Um, they do have a, a heating and cooling plate underneath to kind of, you know, keep it warm in the winter sort of thing. For radiant. But they're okay. not really having to cool and heat it to the extremes of a, a liquid cooling system would because they're not pushing the batteries to their extreme as much, which is a really interesting thing. I think we're going to see a version of this car with that kind of design language with better performance and more traditional technology with a bigger range because the EQS I reviewed already has a very, very impressive range. But when you consider that Lucid makes the Lucid Air Dream Edition, which has a range of already 520 miles, which is 100 miles less wow. than this, using existing technology and is in production today. I mean, John Redinger bought one. Oh, that's like, right. Yeah. You can buy a car today with 520 miles of range. So... This is 620. Mm, too many compromises, in my opinion, for reaching that 620. Yeah. Not that you ever need to go above 90, but apparently it, it doesn't, like, it tops out at 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, I guess. that's one, one of the other things, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it's an interesting thing, and I like the fact that it does look more production-ready than anything else I've shown at CS in years, so. Yeah, they're saying, car and drivers Kudos reporting that the, the um, powertrain will make production, Mercedes promises. So, okay. Yeah, I bet you it will make production with slightly better performance and some more traditional technology because it's, this is a bespoke battery pack that's really expensive. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, they go on about efficiency here, but as I said, Lucid is beating them already in efficiency. And I hate to say this, but the they're using prismatic cells. They're not using circular, like AA-type, you know, form mm. factor like Tesla and Lucid are using. And there's, those are still more efficient. Like, you're still more efficient. Like, there's mm. nothing you can do about it. I think Lucid, having made so many batteries for Formula E in the past, has a leg up on everyone else. And uh, Tesla, of course, has a leg up because they've been doing this since the Tesla Roadster original. So what, 12 years, 15 right. years? And nobody seems to be catching up. Yeah. So, you know, Mercedes, congrats. I love it. But, you know, if this had the performance of the QS I reviewed with that range, then I'd be like, oh, yeah. yeah it's always like, a trade-off, oh, though, wow. right? I mean, you got to yeah. pick. you got to pick what you want. But, you know, you don't with the Lucid, so. I guess, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be. But then there's got to be a third leg to that compromise triangle, right? It's got to be like, okay, well, what? In three years, is that battery going to be completely burned out? You know, is it going to be 50% less efficient? I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know, uh, Lucid's got some numbers on that, and I believe them. The reality is this. is We're starting to see how the traditional car makers are still a little behind. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean they're not doing cool stuff. Like, I think that it's important for them to continue. And eventually somebody will catch up, I'm sure. I mean, there's solid state batteries coming. Toyota's been working on that for a while. Mm. I think this, this is just very exciting to me. And overall, I'm happy to see it happening, basically. It's a fun <laughs> space. I'm glad you're covering it. I, I've kind of fallen off my car coverage, so I'm really glad that you're doing it so I can still keep up. Eh, you know, it's a good gig. I love it. So the other one that kind of threw me off in kind of exciting little corner of the world for a while yesterday or the day before was the Sony Vision S SUV. So remember two years ago we went to CS last time we went? <laughs> yeah. And, I know. I don't sad. know if I went to their I didn't know that they even rolled out one. I of didn't these. know either, but I went I went to see it later and I you know, because I am a car enthusiast, 
you look at a concept and you're like concept or prototype, and you look at a concept and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is production ready or close, pre-production. And that Vision S two years ago, I was just like, what? This looks like a real car that could go on the road today. I mean, it could, but that could be made today. It's a big difference. It could be made today. Yeah. And it turns out that, you know, Sony was like, no, we're not going to make it. It's just a concept to show, you know, what we as Sony are doing technologically speaking. Because, you know, they supply a lot of the image sensors for the cars, right? Like mm -hmm. these IMX camera sensors we see on our phones right. are also in the cars. But there's customized, custom special versions. Like, you know, Tesla, I don't know if they use Sony stuff, but, you know, they have to be able to handle high dynamic range because, you know, you're driving down with autopilot. That camera is looking at the sun right in its in, face. sun, sure. So, you know, you have to have special sensors that can see at night and stuff. So anyway... I thought that's what the Vision S was about. Let's see as much, put as much Sony tech in there, including a PlayStation, keep everybody happy, right? Yeah. Then <laughs> yeah. last summer, we started seeing reports that they were testing this car out in the roads, real-life testing, like temperature extremes and stuff. People are starting like, why would Sony be doing that if they're just doing a proof of concept? Right. And then now at CS 2022, they show the car again, and it's even further refined, and they show a matching SUV called the Vision S02. Because the first one, I guess, is zero one is a sedan. Oh. And then just they dropped the bomb at the end of the conference. They're like, we're creating a company called Sony Mobility, which is going to try to commercialize this. You know, but they were very Japanese in their saying. Like, it was like this, we were not committing to it, but we're kind of committing to it. Like this kind of like double, double language. Yeah. Yet if you read through what it's basically saying, folks, I'm just going to dilute it down to its essentials for you. Sony is going to make a freaking car and commercialize it. Probably two cars. So are you going to be able to buy a Sony? Like if I wanted to buy a Sony mobility car, I could do that in, Correct. in a couple of years? That's crazy. In the same way as, I don't know if you've been following, but Huawei is selling a car in China now. <laughs> I did not know that at all. <laughs> now, you have to understand that how is that possible? You're going to say, like, look at Tesla, how long it's taken them to manufacture stuff. There are contract manufacturers out there. There are companies, that's all they do. They make cars for you. Even the big companies, the big makers use them sometimes. For example, Porsche, some of their special models are manufactured by these third parties for them on spec. You know, at least they used to be. I don't know if they still do that. Huh. But like that happens in the real world of the existing world of car industry. So the company that's making this is Magna Steer. They're out of Austria. Magna is a huge conglomerate in the world that is originally a Canadian company, believe it or not, that basically is a parts supplier. Like in my Tesla has a whole bunch of Magna parts. I bet you the probably the steering column is made by Magna or somebody. The point is, that's what Magna does. They make parts for cars. And so it's easy for them to go like, well, if we make all the parts, then we can make a car. Is this yet another parallel to the to the world of phones? How like, you know, yeah. so many mid-range and low-end phones look identical because they're in fact ODM devices that are Correct. essentially just mildly tweaked. Think of Magna Steers as an ODM. Basically, imagine that tomorrow... Nissan needed a convertible version of a car, uh -huh. and it gonna, they're only going to sell a few of them, like a like hundred thousand instead of a million. Right. Well, guess what? They could call Magnus Steer and say, "Here, take the cars off of our production line, almost mm -hmm. finished, and then turn them into convertibles for us." That's what Magnus does. And so they're going to make this car for. They're going to do the bulk of the construction for Sony. Correct. And Sony's going to. And then, like, in the same way as the Huawei car is made by BYD or one of the one of the Chinese makers, right? Right. For, for Huawei. And it showcases Huawei tech. It uses all the Huawei sensors and stuff. Right. right. But in the case of Sony, like they're, they're as part of the design, as part of the spec that they're giving giving to them, 
they're putting in, what, 40 sensors (laughs) that are installed inside and outside the car to monitor safety, says TechCrunch. I mean, that's pretty cool. And 5G. I mean, it's it's a pretty impressive car. And and the thing is, to me, I think both of these vehicles are really good looking. When I first saw the Vision S two years ago, I was like, this sedan looks... It looks very Chinese to me, like no offense to the Japanese company that is Sony. Yeah. But like if you look at cars like the NIO brand in China, you know, NIO, NIO, it reminds me a lot of that. And it's a good, it's an elegant design. It's kind of boring and generic in some ways, but also- It is. That's what I was going to say. You know, unique enough that you're like, yeah, this is the Sony car. So look, this is crazy. This is crazy stuff. Like who knew- that one day we would get a Sony car, but it looks like now, of course, it's not a done deal yet until it's on the road, right? I mean, right. you know, for you to buy. Right. And how are they going to sell that? And where? Is it going to be only Japan? Like, who knows, right? Like, yeah, a lot of open questions here for, for that stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting, though. I mean, like, in many ways, the EV field feels a lot like the smartphone field did in 2008. Like, it's like, wow, here's new players coming on the market all the time, old players coming in and, and repurposing their existing efforts. And this, it's pretty cool. The last thing I want to just talk about really briefly, because we had to wrap up, is the John Deere autonomous tractor. Now, you know, John Deere, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have some reservations. Uh-huh. The right to repair stuff has been a big deal with them. But this, wow. Like, come on. Here's how it works, guys. You, as a farmer, bring your tractor to the field with the right plow or whatever harvesting equipment is attached to it. I probably don't know the right terminology. But you just... Bring it there, like drive it there, and then you get out of the thing, you push a button on the smartphone, and the thing goes and does its next 10 hours by itself of plowing your field. So, like, boom. What's interesting to me is that there is almost no way to make this interesting to to people who are not farmers or did not right. grow up in, in rural settings. It is not exciting to me. On its face, I will say, like, you may as well be talking about an assembly line efficiency improver on some kind of broom in some broom plant. But <laughs> I, I, the messaging on the CES presentation, because I watched it, because look, the, the fact is that John oh, Deere is too. repped by a PR company I like very much. And, and I was like, they, I'm like, yeah, you know, you guys have been telling me about this for years. So I'll go watch it. And it did. And this was echoed by a lot of people in the comments and on the Twitter John Deere did a better job at making an exciting presentation than a lot of tech companies do. 100%. Like it was really, really nicely done and it made me care. It, it made me care, which again, difficult to do when, you're, when you've been doing this for long enough. It was wild to see a 65-year-old farmer, um, you know, swipe a toggle on his iPhone and then this massive, massive tractor like roars to life and does work and it reminded me of uh remember looper mm-hmm. like when she's uh she, the, the, she, i forgot the character's name but she's got a farmhouse and she just sets one of these drone irrigation farming like yeah yep. modules to work and it's like this is i don't know i was about to say this is how it should be i have concerns about more and more humans losing jobs but it seems to me that if i were a farmer and i could find a way of not going out or sending someone else out on a negative 20 degree day at 4 a.m to go plow some fields that's a good thing. <laughs> well, it frees you up to manage your farm instead of doing the work. And I think that's right. the biggest thing because farms are losing labor all the time. And so yeah. it's getting harder and harder. The point is to me, I'm not a farmer, but I'll tell you an anecdote. Years ago, I was flying on the, over the what people call the flyover states. I know it's a terrible name, but it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. And I was looking down from the airplane window and I saw a combine harvester doing its thing. 
down there, a tiny little ant in the field. And I had this vision all of a sudden in my head of like much larger machines, completely roboticized, being all over the fields of flyover America, just making food for us. Like yeah. robots, no humans anymore. Just the whole thing out of scale of what you see in sci-fi, you know? Right. And I suddenly just popped in my head, you know, I had this vision. I'm in a supersonic airplane, you know, <laughs> flying over this. <laughs> and I see these machines and I'm much high altitude because it's a supersonic plane, but I see right. them. They're bigger. They're visible from space. They're so big. Whoa. And they're just harvesting and growing stuff for us to feed us. Stuff you know? entirely. And I think this is possible. the beginning of that. Yeah. For better or for worse, with all the implications it has, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's going to be bad for a lot of people. Automation is always bad for a lot of people, but at the same automation makes everybody's lives better in the long run i think it's so i think you're right and i i the the more interesting perspective for me is because you know we talk to older family members or older friends or people with legitimate concerns about like well look what what are people going to do all the jobs are going away and i'm like look it doesn't seem to me that this momentum is ever going to stop automation is no. just going to keep accelerating so i think the next phase is figuring out what it looks like when maybe work is not the center of your life. Like what kind yeah. of new capitalist structure does that imply? What kind of maybe non-capitalist structure does that imply? I don't Indeed. know. I'm not an economist. I just know that we cannot go on like this and automation is not going to stop. So what is the smartest next step? I do not have an answer to that, but I know that it needs to be answered because it's inevitable. I 100% agree with you. I think automation is inevitable. And we just have to make it less evil. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we yeah. just have to take well, care of the people who are losing their jobs. And we can do that as a people. Yeah. The system has to be has to be adjusted so that people are cared for because this is happening. It is like a force of nature. It's almost like a hurricane coming and you're like, look, you can sit here and just get bowled over or you can do something about it, right? Yep. And we should help people with that. We, we should. shouldn't just let them be on their own. They shouldn't have to yeah. be, you know, dealing with the consequences. Absolutely. Without any help from us, the rest of the community, as it were. Yeah. So, Michael, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Absolutely. At most places, I'm at uh, Mr. Mobile or The Mr. Mobile, T-H-E-M-R-M-O-B-I-L-E. -E. That's on YouTube and Instagram primarily. And on Twitter, I'm at Captain Two Phones. Captain, the number two phones. Always happy to be on the show. I didn't know it was 250. Thank you for giving me this honor. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being my guest for a pretty epic show. Great show. Quarter millennium. That's right. All right. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and on Instagram. So if you want to talk about this podcast with me and Michael, do it on Twitter. And then go to Instagram to see pretty pictures of phones, pretty pictures of cars, all of them taken with phones. And of course, you know, there's a bunch of YouTube channels you should subscribe to. YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech Podcast and YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech More. The first one is mostly unboxings and reviews of the phones and immediate peripherals like audio stuff. And then the second one is, you know, all the other stuff, travel tech, car tech, home automation tech, the peripheral more distant away from the smartphone stuff. And we're just getting that started. So please like the videos, subscribe to the channels, especially in the new one, the Mobile Tech More, so we can get the thousand subscribers and monetize. And then of course, 
click the notification bell, comment in the comments. You know how to use YouTube, I don't have to tell you. <laughs> and then the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on all the platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So consider subscribing. And if your app lets you review or rate the show, please consider doing that. That would be pretty awesome. Also, we have a Patreon. We've had it since last summer. And, you know, a lot of you are not on it. And I think you should. It's not very expensive. You get access to a Discord server. And it helps me out. There's also a video version of this podcast. You can see Michael's face and my hey. faces react to our things. I know. And... Basically, the video version comes earlier than the audio version, and it's kind of an exclusive. It's less edited, so check that out. Consider that. Patreon.com slash DanCurl, Patreon.com slash TNKJRL. I want to thank Jen W., who are our latest patron this week. Thanks, Jen, for joining. And I want to say thank you to my existing patrons for being awesome and supporting me. You know, folks, I don't make a lot of money on this podcast. It's kind of a labor of love. Most of my money is made through freelance work. And so, you know, I do it because I love the stuff I do. And your support is appreciated. If you can help, consider the Patreon. And if you don't like Patreon, I get it. There is another option. There's a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click through there and make a donation. And that would help me. Buy me a coffee or something. That'd be great. I just became a patron, Miriam. Oh, oh well, thank you. No problem. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much, Mike. No problem. And I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible is awesome. They've been with us since the early days. We have a special deal, a 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And the nice thing is, you know, I think you'll stay at the end because look, if you like books as much as I do, you love books, but you don't have time to read them. I don't, I don't have time. I'm on my computer all day. My eyes are tired at the end of the day. And if I have a day off, usually I'm on the road somewhere on a plane or in a car. And so I just put headphones on, earbuds, whatever, and I put on Audible and I get a story read to me, whether it's a short story or a big book or a podcast. They have a whole bunch of content there. Some of the books are read by the authors. They have some of the, all the latest stuff and some of the older things. So if you want to, you know, listen to all the Star Wars you know, movie versions in book form, and there it goes. I mean, it's amazing. So consider joining Audible, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech gives you that special deal. And I want to thank Audible for being our longtime sponsor. And Michael, thank you for joining Patreon <laughs> for being my guest. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. And uh, don't worry, I, uh, I, I love uh, Patreon and I I'm just happy to add more great content to my feed. Wonderful. Well, we'll have you on at some point in the future. And of course, folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. Stay mobile, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.